0: hey guys this is crazy juicy love if you're ready to change your life your finances and your love life hiring a coach will dramatically give you results in any area that's important to you this is season two of crazy juicy love why hiring a coach will change your life Alright, guys so welcome back to the crazy juicy love podcast i have an ultra ex- special <laughs> guest uh travis fox um i thank you he, he's a transformational coach thank you for being here thank you thank you so, so just tell me tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and like really how did you even get into coaching
1: Well, uh, the real simple answer was I I needed to, you know, quote, unquote, fix me. Uh, I never really wanted to get into transformational work uh, at a scale, at least at a conscious level. Um, My life started out very interestingly in that uh, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. And then within a very short period of time, I was whisked off to Japan. And I spent the first uh, almost four years of my life growing up in Japan. My mother was a model actress and my, my father was a fighter pilot. Uh, so <clears throat> if we saw the movie Top Gunning from the 80s, it didn't work out that way, but it really looked cool <laughs> on, on film. And so uh, we right. came back to uh, Florida for about uh, six months and my father was kind of this avid golfer and he was just kind of really kind of an overall good sportsman, but wasn't you know awesome at anything, but just loved to play sports. He's a Michigan farm boy. You know, that, that's just kind of part of the bit. And He put a golf club in my hand when I was just turning five and it, I took to it naturally. Of course it was way for my father and I to relate. And then we were whisked off to Germany um same concept spent uh you know almost three and a half years there and finally came back to the united states around the time of nine but golf had become this kind of thing in my world and <coughs> i was kind of, kind of kept playing it well when i came back to the states um, my parents divorced when i was nine and a half um my mother my mother continued to pursue her acting career and my father continued to you know finish out his time in year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and golf just kind of became my thing And before I realized it, you know, my life was planned out. I was going to be on the PGA Tour. I was going to be a professional golfer. I was going to go win the Masters. You know, I was going to be the next greatest thing before anybody ever heard of this guy named Tiger Woods, because I was slightly older than Tiger. And uh, even though we all grew up in California, he was younger than me and clearly better than me. But I didn't want to admit that at the time, but I was a good golfer, ready to go. And then um, my life, not unlike probably many of your listeners, uh, you know, was all planned out, quote unquote, and then real life showed up. And real life was that uh, my girlfriend at the time and I got pregnant my senior year of high school, and that changed everything. It changed everything, not from having a child, but how that child came into the world. Um, She uh, made the choice um, and did a midnight run and took off with our unborn child. And I was left there dumbfounded. Uh, I was left there with an experience uh, uh, and and a framework of what does it feel like to actually have a broken heart that's not just broken but it's smashed everything i had built my world on and my my, my ideal concept of my plan of my life just went out the freaking door and i had no way to handle it i had no concept all my all my you know years of playing golf and, and juniors uh, competition and tra- practice and training and you know reading books and mm-hmm. thinking i understood how to manage my mind all bs uh, i had no idea um really is what changed my life and from that perspective I went from being uh, what I call, um, you know, head case to head coach. Uh, my my entire <laughs> path was to figure out how do I get my head out of my rear end and stop, you know, walking down the middle of the fairway and thinking about these things that have nothing to do with golf. And, mm. you know, sometimes being completely emotional, which, you know, people thought I had just gone off the rails. And to a certain extent, I did. Um, right. You know, you're crying one next minute you're angry, the next minute you, you know, you're like, what the hell am I doing with my life? The next minute you're like, oh, I got my whole life planned out. You're like a leaf in the wind. You're all over the freaking place. And I went to discover, how do I fix me? And one of the things that I had gone on to was you know, a cognitive psychology model. And I, you know, sports psychology really didn't quite exist at that time. It was just starting to butt out as a new, a new form of, um, of, of sports, uh, uh, sports performance. And they really wanted to do a, you know, like a Freudian model on me. They wanted me to look at my mom and my dad. And I was just kind of this arrogant kid that said, look, I really don't give a crap about my mom and dad. I want to know how to get back into golf like now, because my (laughs) entire identity of myself just blew up, right? It's gone. You know, Travis the golfer is now Travis the idiot. Well, I don't know how to deal with Travis the idiot because that's in conflict with my ego. Well, that was the most beautiful thing that ended up happening. And I see that now 30 years later, looking backwards. And I met my mentor and my mentor, who I sat under for 15 years and a couple of doctors wow. later, I found out my real passion in life is I love being in the room, whether it's, you know, in front of 5,000 people speaking or it's one-to-one. Uh, I love watching when people wake themselves up to who they really are versus who they think they are mm. and who they've been to be. And that became my impetus was... You know, I didn't want anybody to have to go through in the golf world what I had went through, and so my entire doctoral journey, my my second book was all about that. And the Architect of Being process, and thirty years later now, is all about hey, wait a minute, it doesn't have to look like you think it does. And so here's here's a step by step. Path because at the time I'm a how-to guy. I was like, well, how the hell do you let go of stuff, or how the <laughs> hell do I get my head out of my ass? Because I can't seem to do that very well right now, and I keep having all these thoughts that I can't figure out, and you know, and and if any of my friends talk to me the way my head talks to me, well, I wouldn't have any friends. And right. so I said, well, that's really odd. Where do these thoughts come from? Because there's no way, it's not possible, Jimmy. I wouldn't talk to myself and say, Travis, you know, you suck. You're not good enough. You don't have to make decisions. You, you know, you deserve- all those things, I would yeah. say that crap, but. If I was being honest with myself, which I know, um, you know, being honest with yourself sometimes is the most scariest thing on the planet. I was the one talking, I was saying this shit to myself because I hadn't really looked down and I didn't know a way to do it. And so that became my path. And here we are, you know, uh, a couple degrees later, which, you know, has pros and cons. And then <laughs> you know, I, I spent years traveling around the world, sitting with other great masters and teachers, and I developed a system because I'm a how-to guy. I want a blueprint on how to architect my life and not just architect it from an ego point of view, but from really what's passionate and down in my heart and then realizing that what my head said it had to look like based on you know my mother, father and you know, the religion I grew up with and the cultures that I had grown up in says it's supposed to be versus what is my actual architect or my heart say that it needs to be. And so right. the last 30 years, that's been my work, both on uh, self, um, self-transformational work um, as well as uh, architecting entrepreneurial journeys. You know entrepreneurialism is falling in love with the process and so isn't the whole life a process of falling in love with yourself and, and I don't mean fall in love like gee I have to like myself recognizing you were you were love when you started this journey right Somewhere along line, you exchanged it for something else when did that happen what was the what was the trauma and fracture that happened and then how do I unwind myself so that I can really stay aligned with myself and go way beyond this thing that everyone loves to call the law of attraction and to think that it's a linear thing. I think it will show up. Well, if that was the case, you know, we'd all be living blissful lives. Right. And I would often, many of us aren't. So, you know, law of attraction is a very, very, you know, uh, three-dimensional, 360-spherical thing. And that, that's pretty much by my path now going on. This is now my 30th year, starting in January.
0: Wow, that's so amazing. That's more information that I learned about you now <laughs> than before, you know. Uh, there's I'm... plenty about bumping. You know, One of my favorite ones is, you know, you don't have to keep bumping your head against a wall and expect to turn into a door.
1: No, I'm not the epitome
0: of that. Right. And it's like the other thing that I have learned that, you know, um, y- your life is a, uh, a result of the same actions you've been doing over and over again. And you're not like shaking new actions. Like, okay, you want new ac- a new result. You have to take new actions. And, and I try to tell people I coach, even people in my life over and over again, like, you have to take a new action. And people fight me on that. I like, Okay. You know, Yeah, um, and, th- and that's exactly
1: what Architect is about is because, you know, we'd say the same thing. Like, they'd say the same thing. Oh, Travis, I need you to be mentally tough. Uh, okay, what the hell does that mean? What Tough, tough what? I mean, does that mean I need to be more strict to myself? Does it mean I need to ignore the thoughts? And so it really comes, how do I take new action when every part of my programming says that the action I've done before is the only safe play? Even right. though I don't like it, I don't want it, I keep doing it. And that's right. because we're really not taught anymore, and this is really kind of a big educational push. I think for the you know for the last half of my life, you know the next fifty years, God willing, is going to be about the educational structure, both at an educational level and mm-hmm. also an entrepreneurial level. And then wait a minute timeout, we don't give people the tools to run their spacesuit, their body, their mind. We tell them how to do math. We tell you to do English. We tell you to get a job. We tell you to go to debt. We tell you to do all this stupid shit that has nothing to do with anything really interesting. We forget to tell you, oh, by the way, you know that conscious mind of yours? Yeah, well, it has seven rules. And you probably should be aware of how that actually works. Oh, and that subconscious thing that's running your whole body, well, it's got a whole nother set of rules. And below that, there's this thing called the shadow, which is a whole nother concept. But well, it's got some things you need to deal with. Oh, and way below that, there's this beautiful thing, called your spirit, your heart, your chi, your set, yeah. your soul, whatever you want to call it. But by the way, they all are supposed to work together. But if you don't, they'll all just kind of run amok. And it's like her, it's like hurting cats. It's just they're everywhere. Yeah. You feel like a leaf in the wind. And it's so to me, it's become this really strong impetus to one, you can make it fun. It doesn't have to be, you know, complete, like, oh, I've got to spend the next 500 years in therapy. Therapy sucks, right? I'm not saying it doesn't have its value, but mm. if you go there and you, you really re- lament about the past and you don't, you need to look at the past, but what if you had a way to unwind it? So you can yeah. see the step-by-step sequences, whether the belief structures that are driving it, the emotions that are driving it, and really get down to your truth. Because what I find is, and that, you know, Jimmy, I'm sure your listeners are the same way, is you know, we're we're all afraid of the dark. <laughs> we're all and yet the irony is the darkness is the most beautiful place. And I don't mean dark as in good or bad, light and evil, you know, the Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker. Right. I'm talking about the dark. The places deep down inside that we- are parts of ourselves.
0: ourselves, yeah.
1: Yeah, we hypnotize ourselves to believe something that we know is just full of crap, but we do it because we're all master hypnotists. We don't even know we're doing it to ourselves, but in the dark, two things generally occur. One, that's when the truth comes. Your right. demon, I mean, you get to face yourself or you run. You choose, no right or wrong, just where it is. Or B, the real you shows up that you're not willing to show in the quote unquote light, and then you have this conflict of interest of the self of oh, how come I'm afraid to be me? Well, then the irony asks yourself, and that goes into that judgment sequence, and it goes to, "Who am I trying to impress?" And yeah. when you start unwinding all that, then you get back to them like, "God, I'm really a drama queen. This is <laughs> ridiculous. Right. What am I doing?" You know, I'm just a drama queen. And so, you know, my journey became about, in my ultimate passion. I even ultimately back to golf. I spent, you know, um, many many years on the PGA tour as a coach, as a sports performance coach, and loved it. But one of the things I realized during that journey was that I don't really love golf. I like it, and I happen to be good at it. But I don't love it. I was playing because I wanted to, you know, get my father's approval. And I wanted to have some sort of relation with my father because he was emotional dissonant and we couldn't connect. And that was kind of his way. And, you know, there was a lot of resentment issues because of my mother and I looked like my mom, go figure. So there's this kind of, you know, she divorced me, so I'm going to take it out on you, this passive-aggressivity going on. And I kept trying to impress my father. And no matter, no matter how many tournaments I won or how well I played, it never quite got there. And I realized that the very thing that I'd spent my life pursuing, I ended up resenting. And until yeah. I realized that... You know and was willing to look in the dark of it quote unquote that's how the system was born and so i spent my entire my my entire life is about helping people wake themselves up from their own self-hypnosis and i'm I'm real adamant about it with them i'm like look i don't have any answers for you and anybody tells you that does is full of shit. i'll be the first to call them out No, i don't have any answers for you but what i do have is a system of a step-by-step series of sequences and questions and and exercises that are designed for you to come to your own truth understand what your mind Mm -hmm. is doing Your subconscious is doing, and ultimately get down to what we call the architect or their heart, and architect your journey because there's only one noble truth that I found, Jimmy, on the planet, and that is none of us are getting off this planet alive. Period. (laughs) Right. Everything else is a construct of some other shit, right? Whatever way you want to put it. I'm not saying that they have value, but they're still constructs. But there's only one noble truth, and that's you ain't getting out alive. So the question is, until you really face that one day this is going to end, are you really living your life? Unabashedly unashamedly out loud and having the experience and the journey of your lifetime or are you just self hypnotizing yourself and hoping for this rainy day That will ultimately never come because death. Comes yeah. All. So that's what it's about.
0: Yeah, so I mean you say so many really good things that like I'm just like trying to figure out where to go for me, <laughs> but like, you know, it's interesting also that you what you're talking about because I um, I started listening to Tony Robbins podcast today and um he had he had this quote. He would say, "You master your emotions. You, you master your emotions. You master your life. You master your, the meaning. You you master your life." And that really like stuck out for me. Um, <clears throat> and and the one that says because in darkness is all that meaning and stuff that we make of things that are really stuff and push it down. So mm-hmm. I'm curious of how before we get into the like some of the seven steps, like uh, can you talk about like um. How do you separate yourself from like the thoughts that are happening and who you really are like how do you begin to teach people that because that's a really critical thing that a lot of people don't understand that our brains is automatically making this assumptions these meanings these things and i'm just curious of how you yourself started to separate yourself and like really uh trust your intuition and yourself of like okay This is really me. This is what's really leading me down the right path. This is this is this is who I really am versus like these other powering, butting head thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, great question. Yeah, for
1: me, like we have the first five of Architect, you know, which is called uh, Stillness, uh, Spacing, Stacking, Emotionality and Spirit. And it really is, it's an unwinding. So if you can imagine, you know, and I hate to use this term, but it'll work like a funnel. We start out really wide. We're out here. This is my <laughs> ego. This is how I define myself. This is my car. This is my house. This is my kids. This is my job. This is my title. That's out here. And as you start to bring it more and more microcosmically down, you go through the conscious subconscious, and then you go down to the shadow subconscious, the ultimate event architect or heart. And then from there, we do what's called architect back up. And you architect the way we're supposed to, which is a, a linear model from the heart. And then the, you know, the mm-hmm. open rope goes conscious and we create a belief structure and then we tell our conscious mind to be on guard to look for it unfortunately you do it the other way and so the first thing that i start to do is i you know and this is this is nothing new but i found that when people would start to and when they introduced it to me years ago they said, travis you need to do to meditate i'm like well what the hell do you want me to meditate on <laughs> I, would I sit there, and my mind would go freaking everywhere boss i mean i was i'd be over there thinking about the groceries i needed to buy to yeah me like, too go, well, it was hard in the beginning. yeah this meditation <laughs> made no damn sense to me i'm like well what the hell am I supposed to be meditating? Well, you need to clear your mind. Okay, if I knew how to do that, I wouldn't be asking right. you what for. So stop telling me this is like an infinite loop. You're making me nuts, right? What the frick? And so again, a how-to guy. So for me, it's the first observance of stillness. And what I mean by that is, is the ideology that your body and your mind, psychosomatically, are not synced. So your body is running on this autopilot. And we all tend to just kind of disassociate and go, well, my body's supposed to digest food. and It's supposed to make my heart beat. and My blood pressure it just does it all by itself. And I don't have to really think about it. Well, you do from the perspective that you don't pay attention to it because your conscious mind doesn't have the capability really to really do it. right? It's right. one of its ruled holds one thought per second. So it's not really paying attention. So thank God we have the subconscious that kind of does it for us. However, when you start to recognize that if you're not even aware of your own body, it seems to be arrogantly absurd that you're going to be aware of what's going outside your body. Right. So still it still starts with, okay, what if you just sat still one minute? I don't care where your mind wanders to. In fact, I want you to see how many different thoughts of just random crap comes through your head and get mm-hmm. the joke and start to laugh at the absurdity of ourselves, of what we think knowledge is versus wisdom. Knowledge is something you learn, wisdom is something you are there's a very big difference between those two and so stillness gives you the first observance without any pass or fail without oh i didn't do it right or i didn't do my breathing and my you know my 12 steps of breathing and my zen and all this other stuff which you know like fine that's advanced it comes very later my transcendental meditation those are all great things that are just distractionary to the conscious but why are we distracting from the very thing that's already distracted stare at it look at it look at how it actually works mm-hmm. and then that's where i talk about you know the beautiful darkness i'm like i don't mean evil because that's a construct as well what i mean is the darkness inside where we've stuffed things away we've forgotten about it we've chosen to ignore it we give ourselves this ideology that we are something that we're not and it doesn't make you less or more than it's just like why don't we unpack all this stuff because it's no different than you know a mule that's going up a mountain it only can carry so much weight until its legs break well we'll do that emotionally we'll do that psychologically we'll do that spiritually we'll do that romantically, we'll do that, you know, entrepreneurially. We'll do it in a plethora way. just psychosexually. We'll, we'll blow all these things apart because eventually our body goes, I can't carry that weight. That's not what I'm designed to do. And it will throw up emotionally, you know, or as, as the Greeks say, no thumos and the oikos, no throwing up in the house. And we throw up all over the place. And so stillness is the way to start. And we call it stillness only because your whole objective for that minute, Jimmy, is to just make your body sit still and watch how your conscious mind, okay. the moment you make that decision, You'll have itches that you've never had before on parts of your body that you don't even pay attention to. All right. you don't move. Yeah, you'll, you'll think spiders are crawling all over. It's just hilarious how your mind likes to just screw with you. And then you start to realize, well, ain't that a mother? I'm actually mind foxy myself. Uh, holy crap. And that allows us that first separation without judgment, without, gee, I'm not doing it right, or I didn't you know, sit still and, you know, say my ohm's right. I didn't go through my Kundalini movement. All of these things that sound really cool on paper, but really let's boil this down to simplicity. Can I just sit still for a minute and watch how my mind wants to make me move because it's so busy trying to distract me from going to my own truth because that's where the ego and the architect live very, very separately. The ego is about survival and distraction. Where Mm -hmm. the, the, the actual architect, your heart says, what's there to distract from? I'm already connected to everything it's impossible not to be and that's that yeah. first
0: step wow i i really love 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 that you. um you know I, you have something on your website that i, I wrote down and i'm just like oh my god i really love this and it's oh, like, what it's i say like, now so it <laughs> says death without living is an ultimate undoing regret yeah where did that come from like you know my own journey huh yeah.
1: My own journey, yeah. my observation. You know, when I was Doctor Fox and thought I knew everything, you know, one of the things that I, you know, I was trained to do is, you know, we've got to help people get out of their head and start living, start living, start living. And I was like, well, that's really great. And one of the things that I observed during that time until I realized one, Travis is enough. But the letters before and after my name didn't really mean shit. Mm-hmm. Um, just an ideology. It's no different than any other construct. It's great knowledge, and I don't disrespect it. But it's not really the wisdom. It's knowledge, right? At least for me. And so what I discovered was. The number one thing that we, we really run from and that we're afraid of the dark is that one day this journey, this this vacation on planet Earth is going yeah. to end and we don't have a damn bit of control of it, right. of when or where it's going to occur. It's like, you know, it's like the thief in the night that comes and you're, you didn't even know it was there, but you know it's there, but yeah. you don't want to get up and confront it. So the first thing that became aware of, death without living is the ultimate undoable regret, meaning that when death comes, you know, the number one thing that I found when people were going through, you know, death, grieving or a death experience was regret. You know, yeah. it's always one of the big three. I didn't spend enough time with my family. I wish I had, you know, done more traveling. You know, I wish I had experienced myself and my own truth and I wasn't focused on all these things that are external materialism. And we know that we all know that innately. There's nothing I'm saying right now that every single listener on the, that this podcast is going, yeah, uh, Travis, I agree hundred percent. Jimmy, you guys are right. But what are you doing back to your comment to observe where you're such a good self-hypnotist and such a good distractionary master to avoid yourself from realizing, wait a minute, if I only had 30 days left to live on this planet, and I knew that I had 30 days left to live, that it was going to happen, would I be doing anything in my life right now that I'm currently doing? And I found that most people on answers across the board is no, hell no. i right. like that. And they tell me whatever it is, blah, 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 blah. And I go, okay, great, what are you waiting for? And they go, well, you know, I got bills. And all of a sudden, all this plethora of excuses of BS comes up and I go, stop. If you had 30 days left to live you just said you wouldn't be doing anything you're doing right now the only difference is you're running on a self-hypnotic decision and you're not willing to look at a choice and the right. choice are decisions are very very distinctly very different things right? yeah. one is automated one is active and so until you understand that and look at that and are willing to face it death comes and when it comes you don't get to do it again maybe you get to do another spaces depending on you know whatever religion you subscribe to but the spacesuit you're currently in, you know, what we call Jimmy and Travis in this conversation, right. it ain't gonna ever come back. It's an individual right. fingerprint, all right? So this journey for you really becomes about, am I willing to, to live you know, authentically to myself or am I still gonna hypnotize myself? Yeah. There's nothing right or wrong about either one, it's just which one's the more interesting call to you? Because right. until we're truly living authentically and we're living the adventure of a lifetime, what the hell are you doing?
0: Mm-hmm. You're getting right. out dead, there's no
1: way around it right yeah and i'm curious and so, if- that's, that's what death without living actually means it's like until we face the fear of death are we really actually living our true authentic selves and living the adventure of a lifetime because gosh it's an adventure and it goes by fast
0: so ha- fast. well have you yourself come close to death or like experience something that was like woke you up other than you know your girl leaving you many yeah and so when you go through the architectural journey you experience
1: what's called the three deaths uh, the mm. first death is the death what's called the death of the ideology, death of who you are supposed to be according to mother, father, church, and state, right? Is it
0: pleasant when you go through these three deaths?
1: <laughs> some are and some are. Um... <laughs> you know, because, you know, let's let's be, uh, let's be really transparent here, family. When, when you get to look at who you think you are, mm-hmm. who you think you're supposed to be and who you are, sometimes that's an ocean apart, and that can be a scary thought only from the perspective of self-judgment. But it's easier yeah. to say, well, you know, if I do this, well, Jimmy's going to think I'm, I'm an a-hole. Or if I do this, my dad's going to think I'm that. Okay, what does that have to do with you? But we're right. so locked up in the value assignment and the belief structure that, you know, Jimmy, my dad, my mom, whoever, you know, as an external model, without taking the ownership that we're the ones that are creating that. We're the yeah. ones that are unwilling to look in the darkness to go, man, shit, I really do. You know, I, do, I don't really want to be a golfer. I like golf. And I like being on the tour and I like helping guys out that are good friends of mine. But I like visiting, man. I'm like, I'm like, uh, you know, the game Monopoly. I'm, I'm just visiting. I don't want to come hang out in the jail of people tours. <laughs> the tour, it's not my gig, right? And, and that's okay. But it wasn't okay for my father. To this day, it's still not okay for my father. My father still is very, very upset. Well, that's your journey, Dad. If you want to carry that baggage for the rest of your life, then I suggest you completely miss the ideology of what it means to be a parent.
0: And also, he's not enjoying you right now than who you are, right. and he's still in the right. past of right. some other or in some other kind of conversation with himself. Like yeah. you could, you could have done this, or, or yeah. you, I mean, wish how you would many have, have. We
1: missed together now yeah. as adults. I mean, I'm a father myself and a, and a first time grandfather, so I'm like. Yeah, we're three generations deep now and you know death comes for us all and you never know when it comes but that's his choice and so i honored his journey i said okay if that's how you want to live that's great but i'm not going to carry that anymore i love you i'll always love you and but i'm going to be over here because i don't know when my death is coming and right. for me i want to live this journey you know unabashedly unashamedly myself have i done that perfectly jimmy hell no no i'm, no, I'm sure oh, yes <laughs> oh, yes just because I'm the, you know, the founder of this and there's, you know, I've got thousands of architects around the world, I go, I, every, every, I have a board meeting with my architects every week and I say, guys, don't ever be fooled. I'm still on the journey too. Do not ever freaking yeah. for a minute think that I've got this all figured out. I don't, but what I do is have a system that will help mm-hmm. you figure out yourself and that developed a community around the world so that you can, you can have that same language conversation right. with someone to go, okay, how do I unwind this? And they reflect with each other and everybody owns a space of really holding, you know, unconditional love or space of neutral and saying, look, there's no right or wrong. There's just, what. what's your journey? What do you want to do? Is it alignment with you? Or are you just full of shit like everybody else? And why are you <laughs> willing to own it bar? All right, I was willing to own it. And I'm, as a matter of fact, Jimmy, when you come to like, you know, one of our events, like you know our, our next big events in March in Vegas, um, one of the things I say when I come on stage, I'm very, very adamant about it. People think I'm joking, but I'm dead serious. I walk up and go, hi, my name is Travis Fox. and I just want you to know I'm full of shit. Everything I'm about to tell you is based on a construct of my past. So if you think I've got all the answers, you're talking to the wrong guy. But I got really damn good questions that will make you unwind yourself and face yourself if you're ready and willing. If not, the next hour is probably just going to make you feel very uncomfortable emotionally because I'm going to be asking some questions that only you can answer. And you're probably the one that's been avoiding them. So I'm really adamant out front. And I really like to take that position because the other thing that I found is, you know, especially the social media, everybody's got an ism, right? Ah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm here to be a life coach. Well, how the hell are you coaching about something you're still in? that's what i can't figure out i'm like um i'm a death coach i help people face death i don't mean death and grieving although that's part of it face the death that you are not getting out of this life alive and are you honestly living your life that you truly want to live unabashedly unashamedly Mm. authentically you and giving yourself permission to change it at any given moment and that's okay so i'm really a death coach and so all my architects are too we approach it from until you face that fear that fear will permeate every single aspect of your life, romantically, spiritually, business, financially, even you know, sexually. You will approach everything with an undercurrent of fear that one day it's going to be taken away from you. Somebody's out to screw you. you know, I've got to get mine before you get yours. All this other crap that's not real. None of it's real because you are not your beliefs. In fact, most of the beliefs we carry, Jimmy, and I know you know this, is yeah. was put there by mom, dad, religion, and state. Mm-hmm. And we had <laughs> nothing to do with it. Right? It's like buying a computer that's already pre-programmed. Yeah, I bought an Apple, but it's pre-programmed for Windows. Shit, that doesn't work. There's right. a conflict of operating systems. And yet we, we go, well, you know, that's just where I grew up, Jimmy. Or, well, that's just the way it's always been. And, you know, that's what mom and dad did. I'm like, and what does that have to do, do with to- you? For you absolving yourself of the responsibility, and most importantly, the opportunity, the invitation of a lifetime to live your butt off. Because guess what? When it's over in the theme park of life, you're going to give your spacesuit back when you close the theme park called death. So you might as well burn this thing out and enjoy it. You know, as right. Def Leppard used to say in the 80s, it's better to burn out than fade away. Hey, burn out. And so I've had several experiences like that. I had one last year, on my 48th birthday. Uh, to answer your question specifically, uh, I summited Kilimanjaro for the first time in my life. I, I was mm-hmm. not a mountain climber, still not a mountain climber. Um, But I was called to the mountain and uh, a very good friend of mine uh, who's actually doing a world record attempt as we speak right now on another mountain even higher, uh, I was invited to Kilimanjaro and uh, we summited in six days. But at 19,000 feet, 341 feet from the summit, I had that cathartic moment. And that cathartic moment, which is the second death all architects get to face is the death of your ego, where you truly separate and go, yes, I'll always have one because it comes with the spacesuit, but I don't have to participate with it. And I know how it works and I can understand it and I can unwind it at any given time and the choice is mine. And at that moment, I had one. Um, My buddy ended up getting um, altitude sickness at 19,000 feet. we, We stopped for a moment and I made the tragic mistake to sit down and take a moment and just sit there. And the moment I did that, I checked in hardcore, because you're so busy doing one breath, one step, you're just really kind of in this mantra of survival, mm-hmm. which is kind of how we approach life. And I sat down to check in and I realized, holy crap, I couldn't catch my breath. And I had that immediate, you know, fight or flight panic attack of, <gasps> I can't breathe, but I can't get down fast enough because I'm at 19,000 feet. Simultaneously, I haven't summited yet. I'm 341 feet away, which doesn't sound like a lot, but mm-hmm. at that up, it's an hour up and it's an hour back to get to the same spot. So there's two more hours and then you got to keep going from there. And the second thought came in when I realized, I said, well, let me do a check. And I checked in my pulse and my pulse was you know, something ridiculous. It was like over 150, 60 beats a minute. It was insane because you're just, you're, you're wow. gasping for air. And I went into total fight or flight panic and my mind freaked out. And I realized at that moment, and this beautiful calmness came over and said, are you willing to die for it? Are you willing to die for 341 feet and it wasn't the death of hey did i accomplish this goal it was am i willing to truly make the choice to own my path to take the next step knowing that it might be my last my body might collapse there's all kinds of things that can go on there's, there's edema there's all kinds of um uh, things that go on um not edema excuse me yeah uh i'll think of a medical term basically you can't breathe uh and i'll think of them in a moment here a second but you know i had never experienced any of these things so i had no frame of reference but this piece came over and i remember looking at, around at the, at the top of this mountain and said yeah you know what i am because if i'm going to go out at least i'm going to go out with the choice i made i'm going to go out with the choice pursuing a passion that i was called to even though i don't understand why i was called to the mountain at the time i do now but at the time i didn't and make that choice and mm-hmm. i made the choice and beautiful shift one i got to realize that i'm not my ego right and i know that again but i really got to live another level but i was also facing that moment but two Getting to the summit, this goal-oriented thing that everyone's like, yeah, I summited Kilimanjaro, yeah, right, okay, great. But getting to the summit just wasn't that interesting anymore. What I realized was getting to the summit, I was only halfway because you gotta walk all right the way down. Back down. And I was like, crap. I had never thought about that. I had only thought about getting to the goal. I never really thought "Oh, holy shit, that's only halfway. So all of a sudden this, this impetus to achieve and this impetus to you know get this big cathartic moment, I, I summoned at 19,341 feet, yeah, I'm in this club, blah. It wasn't that interesting anymore. What became interesting was the journey in and of itself, which then became this beautiful, again, another metaphor that we use in architect of how do we actually create the journey what is the journey really about yes there's a lot of stories along the way were there trials and tribulations along the way on to Kilimanjaro yes every step of the way up and down sure one of the things I found interesting is that coming down is actually harder than going up going up was cake at least you know I thought it was hard until I started coming down I was like holy crap coming down sucks Everything hurts. You're gasping for air. You're exhausted. Your body is literally atrophying itself. It's eating its muscle. I went up at 215 pounds. I came down to 190 in six days, just like that. So Wait, say say it again. I started the journey for Kilimanjaro at 215 pounds, muscle mass and weight. By the time I came down six days later, I was 160 pounds. I had lost that much weight. Really? Yeah, because your body's just grasping. And for oxygen, you don't want to eat, your systems start to shut down in this, in the, the structuring of core, right? And the guys like go to, you know, the guys that go to like Everest, which is another, you know, eight, 9,000 feet even higher are just insanely human. I mean, it's insane. Wow. And I, I much deeper respect than I ever did before. Because I was like, why are these guys walking so damn slow? I mean, just move your ass. Well, when you get to 19,000 feet, ain't nothing moving fast. You are so present. Nothing in the world matters except for that, that little breath. And that one little step that you take, because it takes so much effort to do it. mm. We are this beautiful mantra, but you also recognize, hey, this is a beautiful metaphor for how I could approach my life, but I'm really not. I'm approaching my life. of How do I get there? How do I get to the summit? So I can go, yeah, I took a picture. Let me post on social media. Hi, I'm one of the cool kids. Yeah. You know, I remember I took the picture and we got up there. We stayed at summit for maybe 20 minutes because we looked at each other and I went, it's really not that interesting is it and they're like no it's a piece of wood someone climbed up here and put a piece of wood and said this is the highest point <laughs> a huge, amazing journey but holy shit, we still have 22 hours back to get down just to get the you know where we need to go and get all the way up this mountain and we're smoked we're exhausted you know and how do we do that the down became a much more interesting journey and from that the bond between that gentleman and i when we went through there was more on the down than on the up um and because on the up you know you're, you're so focused on that goal and then on the down it became about how do we appreciate this journey with each other the respect that we have the things that we learned the things we've got to leave on the mountain because the mountain's not going to move you know we've been there for a billion years so the ideology that you know you're conquering it is just so flat ass ego it's ridiculous mm. the mountain let you off right and the mountain, i mean the day that we summited i saw five people being dragged off the mountain by the medical help that was there at the time to get them off the mountain you know and, and people were you know, just doing ungodly things to themselves to get to this goal. And I went, the goal's immaterial, right? What if you don't make it? Who cares? You know, it doesn't matter. It's the journey. Because people going? have died
0: on this mountain, probably.
1: Oh, people die every year in Kilimanjaro. People, more people die, you know, on Everest, obviously, but people die every year in Kilimanjaro. I, I had to look that all up too, after because I remember when I was first invited to me, it was kind of funny. Um, and I'm an ocean kid. I like hanging out in the, where if it's below 80 degrees, that's cold. I don't like cold weather. I'm not <laughs> fond of it. And my buddy said, you know, hey, T, I got an idea for you. I'm like, yeah, great. You know, he goes, hey, you're, you're going to be in Africa. I said, yeah. He goes, hey, man, I'll fly over. Why don't we go up? Uh, let's summit Kilimanjaro. And before I had any conscious awareness, which is why I invite everybody who you know wants to know the decision of choice. Let's, let's look at that and break it down. The decision was already made. My mouth opened up and said, hell yeah, let's do it. And I remember the next thought two seconds later was like, what the hell are you talking about, Travis? You don't climb mountains. You have no idea how to do this. You don't. I haven't gone past, you know, maybe 10, 12,000 feet. And that's using a car. Right? I'd gone to you know, gone to Maui, and I'd gone to the, the volcano there. But okay, fine. I knew I could be back down in eighty-five degree weather within twenty minutes. This is about walking, you know, thirty-six miles up to this thing at nineteen thousand I mean, three hundred feet. I found out it was the number one, our number seventh tallest mountain in the world. And here's the funny story about all this. I had no idea why I was called there, but when I finally got off the mountain and we were done and we we're exhausted, and we're all looking at each other and you sing with the beautiful Tanzania people, and you know, you sing. Um, John Miwana, you know, John Miwana, and you start seeing this thing and you start to think, you start to take it all in. Two things happened. One, I, I just felt this emotion release of, wow, holy shit, that just happened, that was amazing. And then I happened to be looking at a sign and the sign said, here's the name of the summit. And the same, his name is Yuruhu. And I was like, wow, I, I didn't really never, never dawned on me what that meant. I look at it and the meaning means freedom. And all of a sudden it mm. started a line. Like, just like I'm talking to you, I could see this entire blueprint of, holy crap. Uh, Freedom was what this journey was all about. The freedom to choose, the freedom to own my own journey, the freedom to die for it on my own terms, the freedom to let go of things that only the mountain could grind out of me because I was so stubbornly holding on to them because the mountain wasn't going to move. The mountain's been there a billion years. I'm just Mm. a grain of sand going by. And all of these beautiful moments of freedom came through and then the ultimate freedom of, okay, you played the front nine of your life, Travis, and you're going to turn 49 next year, which I'm now 49, and you played the front nine. Now we're going to play the back nine. So how do you want to play? And so for me, this, this next freedom became was I want to play where it's smooth, it's easy, it's cooperative, it's fun. And I want to co-create around the world with all the architects that people want to wake themselves up and create this entire community. And I'm not talking about utopia or a cult or an mm. MLM or any of that crap. I'm talking about the individual freedom to be who you are, who you choose to be in a space where people go, OK, I'll journey with you. I don't care mm. what you are. I don't care if you're male, female, rich, poor, gay, straight, lesbian, transsexual. I don't care if you want to live in a hut, you want to live in a path. I don't care. All I care is that you live authentically and that your journey of being aligned and this beautiful sex, sex, uh, success called, you know, happiness with my journey and leaving nothing on the table because we don't know when death is coming. Well, damn, that's an adventure we're dying for. And that's what I've been pursuing for the last 30 years. And,
0: you know, nah. and
1: that's what, what architecting is all about.
0: Yeah, so let's just like, you know, what are the seven steps of the architect of being? Well, there's six stages
1: you can go through. The first one is called
0: the jump. Uh, The jump.
1: jump. Yeah, jump into your life, right? It's 14 hours. Uh, We deliver it to you uh, 14 days. So you get one day a week. It's over uh, over 16 hours of training. You go through this whole process. It's me teaching to you. And we start you off with three aspects. Clinically, what's happening in your brain? How does mm-hmm. it work your brain body, right? Then we show you application. How does that apply, both in your past and how you can apply it currently? And then three, experientially. What are you gonna do that day? We give you exactly, exactly how examples how to do with it in the observance of that, mm-hmm. still talked about earlier. And then we walk you through the 14 days. And then from there, you get invited to the next journey. And the next journey is called AITs, or Architects in Training. And that's a 14 week journey where you learn the entire fundamentals of everything you just learned in Jump. So jump is, I jump right in, I do it, I just do it. I don't know how it works, I just wanna go. All right, architect in training then says, okay, well, let's show you how that works. So you can really understand at the level. And then if, then um, you get invited if you're ready, then you get invited to what's called architect and mastery. And that's 28 weeks of hell. There is no other word for it. So
0: you this is all to- one program. There's, yeah, there's
1: stages. Yeah, so there's jump, it's an individual module. You take that, you don't have to do anything else. Okay. You get invited to, training, get invited to architect mastery. Then you get invited to the blueprint to healing. And then the last one is called Beautiful Darkness, and then you get invited to what's called our, uh, the Journey of a Lifetime. Mm. And after you get through Mastery, you're you're a full bona fide graduate at architect. And when you're an architect, you're always an architect of life, and you're part of that community no matter what you do with it. But you also we also help people become you know death coaches if you don't mind the pun. We help <laughs> them set up their own passion because people who are ready to be you know architects of their life probably ready to architect an entrepreneurial journey or architect their their family journey or to unwind something that is their personal aspect of their life and there's a purpose for that. You know, we're a firm believer that you're here for a purpose. You know that purpose, Mm -hmm. you already know your passion, You've chosen to hypnotize yourself to forget it from a long time ago mm. and on a place you don't wanna talk about. So it's a completely different model from the perspective of I don't help people find their purpose or passion. I think that's a bunk thing. I think it's an absolute drug addiction that most people are addicted to. I'm gonna go find my passion, my purpose. Well, where are you gonna find it? Mars? Did you drop it on the side of the road? What are you talking about? You are purpose, you are passion. You've disconnected from that because mother, father, religion, and state programmed your brain that they have to be X or you Do you need to do it? Why? But you are passionate. When you dive into that part of you, it shows up automatically. And then the real issue is courage. Do I have the courage to live my life on what feels good to me? Not because, you know, Jimmy said, I'm supposed to do it because, you know, he's the podcast host and that's cool. Or Travis said, because he's, you know, who gives a shit what we say? The question is, do you have a system that you can constantly monitor yourself and architect your life step by step? So it's jump, architects and training, architecting mastery, the blueprint to healing and then beautiful darkness, the journey of a lifetime. But by the yes. time you're, well, by your time through architect and mastery, you're, you have been through 20 weeks. It's like, I always tell people, you know, and, and obviously it's not, but I always say it's like getting a PhD in a year, you know? Yeah. you know, really about the fluff and the bullshit just get to it, understand it and be able to do it for yourself because you are your first gig. You're married to you. You're the longest single relationship you ever have in your life. I don't care how long you've been married, you've been married to you just a little bit longer. So until you really get comfortable and understand and willing the courage to be yourself and a system to keep waking yourself up from your own self-hypnosis and to be aware of how the world wants to hypnotize you or how other people's hypnosis is coming back at you and move from a state of knowledge as opposed to a state of being and being the wisdom that you really are because you already are knowledge you just chose you know use wisdom excuse me but you've chosen to go back to knowledge because that's what they told you to do because that's what this puppy your brain up here says well yeah. you know you know you're supposed to go to college and get in a bunch of debt and get a job and then get more debt and pop out a couple of kids and you know you you got to take care of those kids because that's what you're supposed that's your life's purpose I'm like bullshit yeah it's i have three kids they're you know, they're great they're all you know they're grown now i have a granddaughter and guess what i'm probably a bigger kid than my kids
0: <laughs> not because i'm sure
1: better than them, but it's because i choose to live my life experientially right and my kids are waking up to that journey as well but like, wait a minute dad you know it doesn't have to be that serious i'm like well, no it can be if you want it to be but and i'm not saying being frivolous or or uh you know you know dismissive but god dang it how come we're so afraid to be happy holy crap what i mean are you serious how many seminars mean- worth you people need to go to wake up you oh can God, be happy it. right now if you want to but you're too scared because someone might find out you're happy and then try to steal your happiness because they're too busy being chicken shit to be happy themselves i know i did it for my entire 20s yeah. dr fox I thought i had to be perfect and have, i'm supposed to have all the answers and this is what they told me it's supposed to look like i'm like i don't look anything like that hell i don't even act like a doctor in fact i don't when i looked up the etymology of the word doctor i realized it came derived from a latin word that means teacher i was like Oh, really? Oh, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be a teacher? Oh, snap. I don't know that I'm worthy of being called a teacher. What the hell does it mean to be a teacher? Well, how am I supposed to teach something that I don't know myself? That's retarded. That's like me trying to teach calculus when I'm, you know, when I'm over here, I'm a, I'm a literary graduate. Makes no sense. So my entire journey was, hey guys, this is how I journey. This is the system I built. These are thousands of other people around the world who've done it both for self and for, for their entrepreneurial journey. If you'd like to jam, come on down. If not, journey well. It's that simple, that simple
0: yeah i mean i I really like that too i mean i'm curious too like i going back to like you know what you're saying because i i agree with you like how our mothers and fathers and things and stuff like that really um just we agree to these things that people say and then we like manifest this whole journey of our own life but i'm curious of like what are some of the things that you had to like. Deconstruct or just like pull apart that you had agreed to that your mother and your father had said to because that's also a part of the darkness like really also learning to separate your thing yourself from that because for me in my own journey like learning to separate myself from what my parents said, what my, uh, what they think of me, what I should be doing right. in my life or what somebody else think I should and be doing how in my life to do that, and, right? and how I That's should be doing that, how. you know, <laughs> and, then you, and then you have, and then not only that, but then it's like, then your ego comes in the place of like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, how do you yourself learn how to like, well, i mean just curious of like what was one thing or belief or uh that you had to like really battle with and like deconstruct and like yeah say, no this is who i am great question this is what yeah, i believe I, I,
1: i'll tell you and, and actually it shows up in the in stage six which is beautiful darkness and beautiful darkness really deals with how do we identify sex and love right and, and people mm. get really hung up on that and you know i was too so you know, one of the things that you know I had to come to the truth was I'm a product of molestation as a kid, both female and male. So I had both experiences, wow. and as a subconscious program, you know, when you're a kid, you know, and you're a teenager, and this is all going down, you're like, well, this feels good, shit. I'm cool, kid. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having sex with this older woman, and she's teaching me everything. You know, as a father, I look back and go, shit, I'm a hypocrite because if that was my daughter, <laughs> you know, I missed right? Right. But as if it was my son, I'm like, good job, son. I'm like, well, I'm such a hypocrite, and then. When I started really diving into the darkness, I realized, well, wait a minute, I had confused for a great many years. And even in my first marriage, you know, I'm, uh, my ex-wife and I are very, very good friends to this day and her husband, we've been remarried for 17 years, still very, very good friends. But I realized in that journey that I had equated sex and sex performance mm. and sexual acceptance with love. And Mm. I really didn't understand that the second chakra and the fourth chakra are completely different ideologies, you know, that just having sex with someone doesn't mean that I'm connecting with them. It just means we're mutually masturbating physically. It just (laughs) means I'm borrowing you and you're borrowing me. Awesome. If you get to have an orgasm, cool. I get to have one and great. Now we can go have a cup of coffee. Who gives a shit? But I found over time for my journey and a lot of people I've I've, uh, helped, you know, wake themselves up to the difference between. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a molestation, whether it's male, female, whatever, it doesn't really matter. The fact is the same is that we start to equate that as how am I accepted? And if, if I don't perform sexually, I'm rejected. So mm-hmm. I'm willing to compromise myself. I'm willing to, you know, sleep with a bunch of people or sleep with, you know, whatever in, the, in a certain way so that I can get accepted and not just accepted, um, from them, but more importantly, accept myself because that's how the imprint came in. We had, yet when you move to the space of what does it really mean to connect, you know, and, and work in, and um in a more of a tantric kind of way, an energetic kind of way, a heart way, sex rarely has anything to do with it. Um, and so for me, it was a long journey where I had to unwind that, you know, I had studied tantric and I, I was into the Kama Sutra and, you know, I became a student of sex because the undercurrent of all that when I wasn't really looking my darkness was that sex for me was a way to be performant, to be accepted. And as long as I was good at that, then I was good enough and then I would be accepted. And that was love. And yes, there's some of that in there. Don't get me wrong, but it isn't really unconditional love that we mm-hmm. all seek deep down inside, in places we don't want to talk about in cocktail parties, right? Oh, I want to be unconditional love. You know, people don't say that. <laughs> yeah, we all want it. But we're too scared to go. Man, I, you know, I'm I'm a conditional as I'll get out, and I receive conditions from my partner or partners, and I give conditional love, and I we put these expectations. I don't want to be hurt, and you do this. And I'm gonna play these games, and all this other bullshit. And instead of just stepping back and going time out. What is sex and what is love? Now, for me now, you know it moves from the emotional connection of I feel love, I am in love at that moment with myself for one, because I enjoy the feeling of that. Two, I'm expressing that ex- ex- um, externally and anybody around that can feel that. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't mean we have to have sex. It just means we're experiencing that love. But then sometimes it will drop down and then you wanna have that physical expression. But even in the physical expression, mm. It's still coming from heart down. It's not going from you know penis up, if you will, because that model doesn't really work. At least it never worked for me. And so I had to underwind this ideology and this whole image of myself of you know Travis Fox, the great lover, yeah. <laughs> love my ass. You were just trying to figure out how someone to love you because you were too scared to love yourself. Because if people found out you were molested, how would they just how would they judge you? Because right. I was judging myself. Because you know I was judging myself because I had created this whole story that said, you know, I lost my virginity, and true story, I lost my virginity to um, a 29-year-old woman who became my mentor, if you will, for two years. Now, as a 13-year-old boy, that's cool as crap. You're like, yeah, man, I'm not holding hands and exchanging Letterman jackets and going steady, you know, and doing pinky swears. I'm deep into a 29-year-old woman who knows a boatload more than I do, but it was still about performance. And so my head made up a story oh man, I'm really that cool and she chose me and I'm different than all the other guys because they're in high school and they're still playing the going steady crap and I've already been laid 400,000 times, blah, 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 blah. But the truth was I was immersed in a world emotionally that I had no concept, right? I had no, I thought I did. Keyword thought I did, but deep down inside, it became about performance. Did I, you know, did I please her right? Did I? Did she have enough orgasms? Was I romantic enough? Did I say the right things? Was I, mm. was I good enough to, you know, comp- how do you're good enough to you know, 13 to 15 years old to go to even remotely comprehend what a 29 year old woman needs emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, physically? Yet she was teaching me all this, but I was always in the position of a student. So it creates this inferiority complex, and Mm. from an inferiority complex, you want to become superior. So you reverse it. So I spent the better part of my twenties and even early thirties unwinding that whole concept, and then having to come out and say, "Hey, this happened. I chose to participate. It didn't happen to me. I chose it, right? Because you can say no. At thirteen, you know how to say no. I didn't say no. I never once said no. I went in, you know, reactively based on a decision process. I went in." And, you know, I kept, you know, kept saying it was a choice, but it was still a reaction at the time. This is really choosing. And that's where, you know, decision choice came out. So that's one of the big ones I had to work through. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners
0: have to go through that. And and I'm curious, too, because like, well, first of all, thank you for sharing it, because, you know, I find most men won't share something like that. And, um, you know, how did you come to know that that was actually a molestation? Because most guys are yeah i had you know we'll we'll boast about something like that and like you know i was with a 20 something year old with an older woman blah blah blah, and don't see the the long-term repercussions as they has mentally has affected it because i i haven't been molested myself but i I remember having the conversation with all my best friends Mm -hmm. and um he was going through problems with you know women and stuff like that and always going from woman to woman to woman to woman. We couldn't really figure it out. And then one day, he just like, just I don't know why he said this to me. He was like, when I was molested by a cousin, a male cousin, and then I stopped. I was like, oh my God, that's it. Like, your insecurity about women comes from this incident. And until you deal with that, you're still chasing and avoiding being hurt by all this other things that's happened in your relationship, he was like, oh my God. Uh, he actually like confronted the molester and forgave the person and, and like literally shifted his whole life because it was this whole dark thing that was in the family that he couldn't like fully wow. love his cousin, was avoiding the family, and it really created this dynamic. But when he forgave his cousin, then it really brought the family together, which the family didn't know about it, but it was just him and the other cousin who was had the willingness because the cousin he didn't know that the cousin was dealing with himself all these years and he was like, You just like basically freed me yeah. from I, I was so guilty for so many years. And I then know. now my friend is in a healthy relationship with this girl.
1: Yeah, it's that same thing goes back to decision and choice, right? We're still playing out the, the, quote unquote, decisions of our past and what we think we're deciding, the decisions made at the subconscious level long before you became consciously aware of it. Right. So the egoic structure that says, well, I decide. I know I always ask people the same question and I'd ask your listeners the same. When you say, I decide, my response is, who who is I in that sentence? Who's talking? What in your head is the one that's telling you that you made the decision? Because a choice and a decision are radically different. And I think the bigger thing, which I applaud your, your family member that you were talking about, is, you know, men, men, we're, we're hypocrites, right? Yeah, you know, well, you <laughs> know, uh, if, you know, if I tell guys, yeah, you know, I was sleeping with a 29 year old when I was 13. They're like, oh, that was cool. That must have been great, really great. I go, yeah, but I was also molested by an older male. Oh, dude, you know, you're this, you're that. And all these ex- explicatives come out. And I'm like, what are you afraid of? It's still molestation anyway you slice it right <laughs> doesn't matter but men if it's a woman molesting a younger male that's cool but if it's an older male molesting their daughter they're on they're like on the kill path and I'm like well what's mm. the difference right and then you go then you start thinking about well what about women that are molested by women or what about men that are molested by men you know um, it doesn't matter that the sexual component is just a label right? You can call it whatever you want. It's a right. psychological and emotional structure that we start playing it out. And even though, um, you know, I spent two years with that woman. And yes, a lot of the, the the frame frame of my frame at the time was, this is amazing. And I'm not angry with her and I'm upset with her. She's obviously, you know, she's, she's taking the journey now and she's you know, up in spirit. But my relationships were skewed sexually at a very young age because mm. I had so much experience from such a great teacher, quote unquote, that I had no idea how to relate to a 16 or 17 year old or even a 21 year old girl, because to me, they were psychologically stupid. And I became this, judgmental <laughs> asshole. And I became this guy that said, you know, well, I'm better than you because I've done, you know, all this sexual stuff over here, which is nothing for the truth, but my ego jumped out of my body and made these mm. really judgmental statements. And I, you know, I... I will offer you, I I missed out on a lot of great experiences with a lot of great people because I was so busy going, well, you know, I've already done that. Well, I've already done that, which is a decision. I've already done that. How do you know? You haven't done shit. You're talking to a new person. What are you talking about? Right? But the decision says, based on the, the blueprint of my past, I've already done that. I projected and boom. Now all of a sudden I've turned myself off. I mean, ego. I've turned myself off to an opportunity to look at myself, to explore myself, to explore what they bring to my table so that I could look or unwind at myself. And so I think that, you know, our fear is that we're afraid people will, you know, judge you and put a label on it. Well, they're already doing that anyways. So right. just own that. And realistically, if you really want to step back and architect your journey, and this is where the big cathartic for me came through, and then you know, my students I share for them to do it for themselves, is in the in the beautiful darkness module, we get to look at the truth, you know, and the truth is not that big a deal you know and it's not you know, okay fine so you were molested so what that was you know, 40 years ago what does that have to do with now it only has to do with now is if i'm replaying the program right over again, yes and still seeking to get you know sexual performance to get love Do you know, am i trying to get you know i want to get to unconditional love but am i still putting myself in a conditional love sequence and then really stepping really far back and going here's the truth the choice is you're choosing to do that again by not taking the responsibility of saying that was a part of my soul's path. It's a part of the adventure of life. Yes, it can be cathartic. Yes, it can be traumatic. Yes, it could be scary as shit. Yes, it could be all those things. And guess what? At least you knew all of those emotional experiences while your journey on a lifetime, because otherwise it'd be yeah. flat, boring, and vanilla. And nobody wants vanilla, even though we say we don't want it, <laughs> we'll subscribe to it because it's safe. Well, right. okay, if, if, if it was safe, pornography wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist. And yet, you know, the number one thing on the internet to this day is still pornography. So cut the crap, people. We're all freaks on the inside, calm down. It's just an experience. The question is, is that an experience you want to have and choose it? Not because you're playing out a prior experience and trying to seek balance, but unwind that and come to what is it I choose to experience for myself? And that's when it shifted for me to go, well, wait a minute, yeah, sex is great and I love sex. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a Scorpio, I'm Tantric. I got all those other labels behind my name, great. Bottom line, I like it too. But what's the fulfilling model? I found over time I had depleted myself emotionally in an attempt to be physical. I depleted mm-hmm. myself emotionally, and so when I realized that I, what, the, the the sex wasn't that it wasn't as interesting anymore—not that I didn't enjoy it, but it wasn't as fulfilling—and I couldn't figure out what that was—and that's when the, that was when that little what I call a mog, and a mog stands for moment of grace. That's where my my spirit, my architect went. Are you ready to look at this? Are you done? Are you done running from all of this? Are you done bsing yourself? Are you done because You can't go much further because no different than Kilimanjaro, which was the exact same lesson the physicality. Emotionally, I'd run myself into the ground where I could present outside. I had all my stuff together, but inside I felt very empty. I felt alone. Not true, but these constructs I created. Those were ways for my subconscious to wake me up to go, Travis, you're making decisions. You're not as awake as you think you are, so stop that crap. And then two... Would you really ready to unwind this thing and look at the darkness of it because it's not dark evil it's dark where you've forgotten it turned out the light stuffed it in your closet hope to god you don't remember it, even though you know it's always there and i'll give you the simplest of analogy let me see if your your, your listeners agree with this a lot of people enter relationships with the same kind of concept i don't want to get hurt yep <laughs> okay <laughs> that means you already are hurt. You're experiencing hurt. Right. You're stuffing hurt inside, and you're approaching this relationship with, "gee, I'm attracted to him or her, whatever
0: your 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 gig is." You already got a, like a guard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're all you're already setting yourself up to be hurt because you're still experiencing hurt, and that's where this like whole law of attraction thing is. You know, it's linear. If I think it, it'll show up. That's not true. It's a three dimensional experience, and the emotional undercurrent that's driving it will always prevail. So if you're walking in going, "I don't want to get hurt," A, I already am hurt, B, I'm walking in hurt, and then three, I'm projecting that hurt, and when that person reflects and hurts me back, then I can really replay this all out and I can blame him or her and go, see, they yep. hurt me again, relationships suck, blah, 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 blah. When you're just playing out a hypnotic program and doing the same decision over you, we call the infinite loop. And then that's when you realize you're living in a mind-made world. Your mind has made this whole damn thing up. And until you <laughs> unwind it and really get here, you're just playing in this really kind of virtual reality of a virtual reality of a virtual reality. And then you can yeah. ask yourself what's real. And that's
0: how you end up. So that's one right. some of
1: the things I've come through personally.
0: Well, I mean, you said somewhat so many great things there, Travis, um, coming towards the end. So I'm going to ask you a few questions before we end here okay. and uh, see what see what comes up. So okay. what does a life of love mean to you?
1: Uh, A life of love means holding a space of unconditional acceptance for yourself and Mm. for your fellow journeyman or journeywoman. And Mm. that the only noble truth on the planet is we're not getting off this planet alive. And Mm. so a life of love is going, it's okay. You know, I'm not saying everything's okay in the world because, you know, who am I to judge? You know, there are things that obviously are, are very destructive. But a life of love really understands that love is everything. The yeah. emotion emotion you project, anger, guilt, frustration, resentment, shame, happiness, bliss, it's all a projection of love in some form or another. The question is, is it unconditional? And yeah. un- unconditional doesn't mean you know, it's okay, go ahead and just you know, do stupid shit. Unconditional means I accept <laughs> that choice you made for your journey, even if I don't understand it, and even if I don't agree with it, okay. I, right. I love you enough to you know, let you go. Or I love you enough to walk alongside you. And if I don't agree with you, and I love you enough that I don't care what the label is that you want, people want to put on you. And I love you enough to go, you know what? It's all going to end soon. So, geez, can we just enjoy the hell out of it? And let's learn from each other. And that's what a life of love is for
0: you. Mm. And how do you disrupt yourself or disrupt your ego as you continue along your journey? <laughs> yeah,
1: um, I, I'm constantly inviting myself uh, to listen. Mm. Uh, that's how I disrupt. Um, I, I'm especially on the back end of my life now, getting ready to roll on, uh, you know, 50 next year. Um, for me, it's about listening to the inside of my architect. You know, I understand how to do it, and, and I, I, as I tell you know, all of my my graduates and you know, the students below them, it's you know, you actually become the best student when you become the teacher because when you're you're reflecting for somebody else of your own experience, you're actually mm-hmm. the student of itself. Mm-hmm. So for me, I learn like to listen, and learning to listen means. Um, and, the, and I quote the great movie, uh, The Matrix, you know, my comprehension of things is not a prerequisite for my cooperation of things. So, <laughs> like you Kilimanjaro, know, like my comprehension was, what are you doing? But my under, my deeper understanding, of the listing of what my architect was saying has brought on and continues to this day, bring on lessons of a lifetime that I would have never learned if I thought I knew what I was doing, as opposed okay. to just listening and just following. And then, the, you know, the Tanzanian people have... Uh, a saying in Swahili that I, I really have adopted and I've shared a lot in uh, interviews and with the community is it's called poly poly and it mm. means slowly, slowly. And its ideology is the only way you get up and back from Kilimanjaro is step, breath, slowly, slowly, slowly. Mm. Be present in your own journey because man, it is really easy to hypnotize yourself into believing you're doing something really noble, you're doing something really important, and all of this doing that you're doing. Again, if I walked up to you and say, Jimmy. I got really good news for you. You got 30 days left to live on this planet. Is there anything in your life you'd like to change? And if your answer is yes, well then let's get on it, boys and girls. Because guess what? The truth is, you may only have 30 days left to live. So cut the crap,
0: wake up, and let's jam. I'll jam with you. Let's go. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when you reference your website, maybe it sparked this question: Like, uh, why is your son your biggest motivation?
1: Um, well, in that particular case, it's my youngest son. Uh, my youngest son, uh, who's Corey, uh, was born autistic. And mm. I have two elder children, um, uh, Jennifer and Christopher. You know, I again, here we go. Uh, you know, I'm Dr. Fox. I, I teach this all over the world. I'm this expert about boom, all this crap, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. You know, I found out PhD just means please her daily. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything. I was like, oh, wow, is that what they yeah, I'm glad I got one of those. It's yeah. so, uh, taking me two relationships to figure that out. Oh, gee, I'm not the sharpest tool, uh, you know. So, um, what is? And you want to talk about one of the beautiful windings of my life is uh, when uh, my, my ex wife and I found out that we were pregnant with him. You know, we thought we were out, and I use the word thought. You know, our, our two oldest children were you know ready to be done. They're going to high school, they graduated. We're out of here. We're going to go, you know, just travel. We'll be two kids because we were very young parents. And when we found out we were pregnant. You know, it was like, okay, hey, we got this thing down. We've done this twice. We screwed the first two up. We got a really good chance of making this <laughs> third one work. You know, third time's a charm, right? And you know, taking jestful jokes at ourselves. We're really excited. And then, you know, you put all these expectations this is what it's gonna be. It's gonna be a perfect child, and it's great. And you're going to the OBGYN and you do know, all this stuff. And then he was born autistic, and you know, through the first two, two years, you know, something in your gut saying, Something's not like the first two. I don't know what that is. And I hate to use the word normal because I don't know what the word is, but that's how you know the, the the system likes to go, it's not mm-hmm. normal. Compared to what? Oh, rest of humanity? Okay, well, well, Neanderthals, you know, we're not normal to them. So what the
0: hell does normal really mean? Right. And I,
1: when I realized he was, you know, on the autistic spectrum, and I took him to a couple of my friends who all did different, you know, diagnoses in one form or another, and none of them hit the mark. I had realized that all of my my, uh, my schooling and my, my psychological journey, all the things I had been teaching here before went right out the damn window. Here I am, You know, Dr. Fox, the great communicator, I've got 14,000 hours on stage, I've won Emmys, I've done all these things that sound really cool on paper. And here's this beautiful child and I have absolutely no idea how to talk to him. I have no idea how to connect because he speaks a different language. His language is based on emotionality. It's not based on verbiage. It's not based on words, it's based on how he feels. And he became my greatest teacher. So he helped me unwind the identity of Dr. Fox and I realized that Travis was enough. Mm-hmm. And which is why I don't go by Dr. Fox anymore. Um, even though I've earned the degrees and I can, I just don't. Uh, I don't need that kind of accolades. Travis is enough. And he, he has been a great teacher for me of what being present is. And I'll give you a story. And maybe this will help your, your listeners kind of put this in perspective for anyone who's an autistic parent out there. This is one of the greatest lessons I've learned. Yeah, I have one of my best uh, friends. Remember, about, yeah, I was about seven years old and we were in Atlanta, Georgia of all places. And um, it was fall. And you know quote unquote normal kids go out and play in a pile of leaves they jump in and they throw it around they do all kinds of stuff that we would normally do my cory Corey went out and he stared at these leaves for about five minutes and i sat there and watched him like what is this kid doing i have no clue what he's doing so i'm gonna watch and he sat there jimmy and he, he grabbed these two leaves and he just stared at him and he looked at him and the next thing you know he just started just crumpling them and he just stared at them and he crumpled them and he felt every aspect of crumpling that leaf and he crumpled it and he watched it drop and He did what's called modulating. He kind of flapped his arms because he got really excited. And he, you know, autistics can't, you know, don't contain their emotions as well in their body. They just let them feel out. And so that he was shaking like, oh. And so he sat there and he did it again. And he did this for about 30 minutes. And I realized it was so blissful, so joyful and just crumpling the leaves and the sound and the, the smell of them and how they felt in his hand. And I sat there and I started crying. And all the guys man. are like, you're such a wish. You start crying, man. What's wrong with you? Big boys don't cry. Hey, man, shut up. Let me tell you what's up. Big guys do cry because guess what? It was mm-hmm. such a beautiful moment that my son taught me that in all of my life and everything I had done, all my accomplishments, all the people I had slept with, all the awards I had gotten, all this thing, didn't mean squat. I had never been so happy as he was crushing those leaves in my entire journey. And I wept. I realized, holy shit, I have no idea what bliss means i have mm-hmm. no clue what the concept is and this little kid who is just taking the moment of being so present to just crush leaves something i took for granted with both of my older children and myself i'm like it's leaves i gotta rake them i gotta throw away i gotta put them in the shred or whatever the hell i didn't pay attention to think that that leaf was a living thing and still is to a certain degree and was so blissfully present i had no idea a who i was be what the hell I was doing, and I realized at that moment I wasn't a teacher; I was a student, and that mm-hmm. became the journey of a lifetime. Wow. And now he's seventeen, and he, uh, he's very high functioning now, and he has his own show on YouTube. It's called Corey's Kid Show, and he makes kid shows for other autistics, and he's uh. got his own degree. And you can go to Corey's Kid Show on uh, YouTube or Instagram, and he has his own puppet line, and he makes his own shows, and he taught himself how to edit and his whole passion. And, and we were at uh, Sesame Street earlier, through, uh, both in Kaufman Studios mm. in New York and at Sesame Street theme park. And we did an interview. I finally got him on camera in, in Times Square of all places, which is like insane. If you've never been there to an autistic, that's overwhelming. And he was very present. And I just started interviewing him. I got the phone out and he said, tell me about your show. And he said, "He was, I just want kids to feel the way I felt when I watched, you know, Baby Einstein or Sesame Street or Teletubbies or or Booba or whatever show he was watching because I wanted him to feel the way I felt. And so I make all my shows so that they can feel that same expression because that's really Mm. my passion. He said it in this most beautiful way and I'm sitting here in Times Square going, I've got, I mean, I've got thousands of hours on stage and I've never said something so eloquent as this young man. And so he's my biggest motivation, and and I've been a a part of the, uh, the autism uh, speaks movement and autism movement for a very, very long time, only from the perspective of, I want people to really embrace the concept of autistics aren't an epidemic. They're an evolution. No different than we were an evolution to Neanderthals you know, prior to us. They are an evolution from the, per- the perspective of, they feel exactly what they feel in its entire totality, right then, no different than those leaves mm-hmm. or any the motion and then they drop it. Well, we don't. We'll carry that shit for an entire lifetime. So (laughs) how can they be an epidemic when we're the ones carrying crap around? They're an evolution. Do they think differently? Yeah, but if you look at their brains, some of their brains are so highly developed and so amazing that we can't even comprehend it. And yet we have the arrogance to say, well, that's an epidemic. I'm not saying Mm it doesn't have parts. Don't get me wrong. It's very challenging. I'm not saying it's not. I mean, I waited seven years to play bounce ball with my son where my my, two older ones, easy. I waited seven years. So you learn humility. You learn. You learn patience, you learn what's really important. He's been my greatest teacher and so he's also my greatest motivation.
0: Wow! I mean, I also like just listen to like the leads, like he like embodying all the five senses all at one moment and really just the whole idea of being president of like mm-hmm. touch, towns like like everything in right? that one moment. And like right. just like going back to the Kilimanjaro was so, like slowing down and taking a breath in every moment and feeling every moment and it's like almost a full circle with your kid and right? you know kill him yeah, and
1: It was it was very cathartic and then you know and, and everybody has this experience you know so family listening think about one or two moments you've had in your life that were you were so present that everything like time and space stood still those are the mm. moments where you understand what being present is experientially the journey becomes How many more of those moments can I create for myself, unwinding all of this crap in my head and be present, fully experience that experience? Because if you're like most, here I am 49, I could probably count on both hands those moments I've had in my life. So maybe 10 real hardcore experiences, a lot of them have been with my youngest son. So how come we only have 10? What a great question to ask. And then you ask yourself what's more important, being present or just doing a bunch of stuff that no one gives a shit about anyways, including you.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Travis. And one last question. Where can people find you online? Yeah, sure. Great question. Thank you. Uh, On social media, you know, if I hate to push that out, but it's the
1: way to find me. You can find (laughs) me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at travisfox 360 uh, we're on there every day in some form or another. You can go to our YouTube channel, which is Travis Fox, The Architect of Beam. There's tons of videos up there that are just there for you to just kind of start your architectural journey. And if you're ready to start the journey, go to travisfox.net. And when you go to our website at uh, travisfox.net, you'll take the free passion test. It's free, it costs you nothing. Yeah, you're going to give me your email address, so of course you are. So we all know that's a <laughs> collect. And yes, I'm going to email you once in a while just to kind of remind you. So let's just cut the crap. And there it is up front. There's your transparency. But then from there, if you're ready to jump, then you can jump in. You can take the jump and you can start. It's a, it's 97 whole dollars, right? It's, that's less than a dinner with you and your significant other. The whole program? Well, the jump is, yeah, the whole jump program is 97 bucks. Oh, wow. The whole journey of a lifetime, it's a little bit more, obviously. But I promise you, I'm, the, I'm one of the least expensive programs out there because my entire mission statement is to help 1 million architects wake themselves up before, you know, my time to leave the planet is over. Yeah. Wow. We're on a a strong path to do that now, but that's really my passion. And I'm also a firm believer that, um, you know, if you're on a journey of a lifetime and you really make, you really give people the how to, you give them the nuts and the bolts, they'll do it. Well, damn it, they'll they'll journey with you for the rest of your life. And that to me, to have the experience to be able to go anywhere on this planet and go, hey, man, you're an architect, let's jam. Hey, Jimmy, what's going on? Remember that time we did that show together? Yeah, hey, what's next? Okay, let's go create this, let's jam. That to me, experientially, is worth more than charging you $400 billion to go through a system that, realistically, I believe everyone on the planet should at least go through the jump. You should have the basic understandings and applications and experience of how your mind and body works in relation to your journey of life. That's education. Yeah. Uh, Teaching you how to take to test in school that no one gives a crap about anyways you're never going to use but to really understand how to make the difference between a decision and a choice to understand your conscious mind versus your subconscious how to reprogram that beautiful tool of your brain to become the, the antenna and the, the transmitter receiver that it really is designed to be to free yourself from the prison of emotional structure that you put yourself in every single day and don't even realize mm-hmm. that you're doing it and yet deep down right. inside you know you're doing it right. those mm-hmm. things are valuable tools and so for me that's my passion that's my purpose that's what I love doing every single day and I do it every single day and so the passion test is a way for you to start and then the jump gets in for 97 bucks and if you don't you know if you don't like that then stop but at least you're not, you
0: know,
1: <laughs> we're not taxing you for four billion dollars it's four thousand right. here twenty nine thousand there and, but wait our big package is ninety nine thousand dollars and you can come hang out with me on uh, you know doing whatever who gives a shit about me it's about your journey so let me give you the blueprint and if you like it great you can go forward if not stop but at least you have a, at least you have the tools to do something and i've my purpose and you has got the information to apply to your life like how you do that's up to you that's how they
0: can find us all right all right thank you so much travis and i it's been such a pleasure honor thank you so and much. just a serendipitous of us coming together So was so like strange but but right. well, i'm glad it happened yeah just uh, another mog right uh, yeah, yeah hey, we right. both listened.
1: we're like hey you want to do this i'm like yeah your show sounds great i love what you're doing i love the yeah, work man. out there how can i help Yeah, man. All right. All right, man. Thank you. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much. Journey Wealth. Thank you all listeners. And uh, guys, remember, no one gets out of this life alive. So live your ass off because
0: you only get to do it once. I know. That's right. (laughs) Hey, guys. So don't forget to subscribe on Instagram at Jimmy Allen and Twitter, simply Jimmy. And don't forget to rate, rate, subscribe, comment and share this podcast if you enjoyed it thank you guys for joining me this is jimmy allen with crazy juicy love hey guys are you ready to call in your one are you ready to become wildly magnetic to the partner that you deserve and start creating that crazy juicy love well i am offering a discount package when you listen to this podcast so When you listen to this podcast, you follow me on Instagram, you DM me and say, you listen to this podcast, and I will offer you a discount on a seven-week session. Crazy Juicy Love.